Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday here, October 26th. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro with you here up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Thursday night football action will also get you prepared for game one with the Diamondbacks at the Rangers that gets started tomorrow plus we'll take your phone calls 1030 and 1115 602 260 1060 we'll go around the NFL we'll get some insights from Jonathan Gannon and Joshua Dobbs Arizona Cardinals who met the media yesterday look at the injury report and we'll get things started, though, right now with today's poll questions. And we'll start with the KDOS1060.com poll question. In regards to the Phoenix Suns, who they also play tonight as well, they are in L.A. taking on the Lakers. Should Kevin Durant have a say in Suns' personnel decisions? No leads the way here at 86% of the vote. Yes, trailing at 14%. Yeah, I wonder if Durant has anything to do with uh, you know, Booker and uh, Buell both listed as doubtful for tonight's game, second game of the season. Uh, but I'm just joking about that sort. I'm not joking that those guys are both listed as doubtful for tonight's game. But I do find it intriguing that uh, a guy that has been here since February 9th is, you know, personnel decisions. Okay, usually that's something that somebody that's been around here for a while, and he hasn't been. Um, does any sort of cachet play into it in terms of just the pedigree of who Kevin Durant has been as a player over time? So, yes, he hasn't been part of the franchise, but the amount of basketball he's seen has elevated his status in that sense. I don't doubt that, but I, if I remember correctly, he kind of had the same situation in Brooklyn, and that was a mess. Not his fault, necessarily. Uh, but, you know, with, you know, Harden and Simmons and everybody else that's been in and out of there, uh, that was a, kind of a fiasco. So I would just uh, – usually when you have somebody that is, you know, thinks he, he should have a say in personnel decisions, it's somebody that's been an established player in the organization for multiple years. We will officially provide our answer to this question around 11.30. Plenty of time for you to still cast your vote. Let's toss this on over to Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. Uh, Bob had a conversation. Matt Perino, Syracuse.com, getting the lowdown on the Buffalo Bills. Looks like there is some injuries, more injuries to pay attention to. Uh, in addition to that, they play tonight. So who do you have in Buffalo? Bills minus 8.5 for the Bucks plus 8.5. Bucks plus eight and a half sitting at 62.5% of the vote. Bills minus eight and a half, 37.5%. Yeah, and these number, this number has gone nuts in the last two hours. I'm not sure if it's a Baker Mayfield thing. I haven't really found anything specifically. Kayla, you can chime in if you've found or heard anything about this. 
There are plenty of 10s popping up in Las Vegas in the last hour and a half in this game. That's my only assumption that it has something to do with Baker. He was listed on the injury report, uh, and then maybe that means it's Kyle Trask time. Yeah, Vita Vea is a big deal, too. I mean, you know, we talked about him with Matt in the last hour. So that would be, uh, you know, certainly it, when the inactives come out 90 minutes before, I actually would be looking at, you know, whether Vea is playing more than, quite frankly, Mayfield. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, yeah, I've quit paying attention to this number at all, completely, like at 8 o'clock this morning. And by the time I looked again at like 9.05 and went, my God, what is going on here? And uh, really haven't been able to uh, answer. This is just speculation now, I'm guessing, because I, don't, I haven't seen anything that's been officially uh, or unofficially announced or even uh, the media network insiders, etc. cetera. Uh, but this game's sitting at 10 at Circa and the Westgate right now. And those are two of the more high-handled uh, wagering sports books in Nevada. I have a question here for you because, you know, let's just work with the number eight and a half. Uh, eight and a half is a perfect teaser leg. So if you believe the Bills are going to win the game, tease them down, put them as one of your legs for two and a half. But if you think eight and a half is a big number that the Bucks can cover, is it worth trying to middle something like this? I guess. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I quit doing the teaser thing a couple years ago, you know, when I, it just became more difficult for me to win, quite frankly. And uh, I just, you know, I don't, I didn't have any really method to the madness or lack thereof. But I, before the pandemic, I used to do quite well, it seemed, uh, betting teasers. Uh, but since that happened, it was horrendous. And like three or four weeks into last season, I just gave up. So you're asking the wrong guy about that. Sorry. That's all right. Teasers have actually been good to me this year so far. So let's see if uh, we can keep the teaser world profitable. Uh, let's. Keep- I will say one other thing. Matt actually has the Buccaneers winning the game tonight when we talked to him. Wow. Now, less, than, like an hour, less than an hour ago. Uh, well, he has them winning 24, 27-24. He has the Buccaneers winning tonight. High-scoring game. Yeah, I know. Considering the Bills have scored 10 points in the last three first quarters, or first uh, halves in the last three games. And the consensus total in Nevada right now is 43.5 in that game. We'll officially answer that question around um, 1130 today. Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. As I mentioned, feel free to chime in. NFL, World Series, Suns, NBA, NFL, Arizona Cardinals, you name it. 1030 and 1115, 602-260-1060. Let's get into the Arizona Diamondbacks. The D-backs at the Rangers game one of the World Series. Friday, 503 p.m. on Fox. The starters have officially been announced for the Diamondbacks, Zach Gallen. And then there's been a bit of a change here for the Rangers for what they've done in the previous two series. Rangers starter is going to be Nathan Avaldi in game one. Let's start with Gallen, though. Four games in the postseason, 22 and a third innings pitched, given up 24 hits, 13 runs, six home runs, nine walks and 13 strikeouts. 
Now, for me, I look at first inning numbers and, and things like that for what's kind of maybe plagued Gallen a little bit here. Uh, if you go back to game five, the first inning against the Phillies, he gave up two runs. Game one, first inning, he gave up two runs against the Phillies. Then game two in the first inning against the Dodgers, he was clean. Game two in the first inning against the Brewers, he gave up two runs. Do you make anything of that first inning or am I really grasping at straws here? No, there's lots of pitchers in baseball history that if, you know, Tom Glavin's the best best example I can think of ever off the top of my head. I mean, if you didn't get to him in the first inning, you were, you know, not necessarily going to be in, you know, trouble because he would dominate, but he would seem to figure out issues after the first inning better than any big team, big time and, you know, postseason pitcher that I could ever remember. Uh, and it actually carried into the regular seasons for him, too. So those things happen. I mean, it's uh, in, I believe, I think Gallon pitched. I haven't looked into this. I should have. I apologize. You know, they played at Texas earlier this year, and they play. I think he pitched in that series. I know that uh, that was. Uh, I think that might have been Brandon Fott's first start as a major leaguer, and that didn't go well. Uh, but that was a long time ago for Brandon Fott. He's kind of figured it out since then, but. Uh, yeah, that's uh, I, I have no idea. I mean, if you believe that he's going to have first inning problems, I assume there's a prop bet out there where you can bet whoever scores first or runs in the first inning, or there's got to be a prop bet for everything now in the World Series, I would assume. Oh, there's plenty of different prop bet options. I was going through some of them earlier this morning, just seeing what the offerings yeah. are. Uh, but in that's gen- got that's got to be one of them. Uh, yeah, I would have to think so. Uh, and then just kind of number of strikeouts and, and all sorts of fun stuff there. But to your point here, uh, Zach Allen was uh, the starting pitcher for the Diamondbacks when they went to Texas back in May. Uh, he gave up one run in the first inning. Uh, they ended up losing the game 6-4, to four, and there was no decision for him. He went five innings, seven hits, three runs, and six strikeouts in that particular game. That's when the Rangers were, you know, lighting it up offensively. They've had some dips and, uh, you know, peaks and alleys, so to speak, uh, during the season as far as their offense goes. Uh, when they're clicking, uh, there may not be, and I mentioned this during the regular season when they were clicking, uh, when things are, uh, when everybody's healthy and they're, you know, on kind of, you know, on a roll, uh, there's probably not a bo- an offense in baseball that is better one through nine. Uh, certainly it's a deeper lineup than the Phillies. Even when the, even when Castellanos is hitting, it's a deeper lineup than what the Diamondbacks just saw against the Phillies. Uh, we'll get into a few more uh, topics and questions I have for you about some of the hitters, both for the Diamondbacks and the uh, Texas Rangers here. But do you like what Bruce Bochy is doing, changing things up here, going with Nathan Avaldi for game one? And does that say anything to you about maybe how they might want to set him up for later on in the series if he's going in game one? I have no idea. Um, I'm they. There was a media day today. I assume he's going to be asked about that. Uh, so we'll see. I'm not surprised. Even Montgomery pitched. Uh, that was all the way back to Monday. So yeah, it wouldn't be the full rest. Uh, but you know, it's the postseason. So you know, he didn't. You know, he pitched a handful of innings in that game against Houston uh, in relief the other night. So I have no. I don't. No, I haven't seen an official explanation as to why. Uh, But as I mentioned, it's media day today for both teams, so I assume that he'll be asked that. 
for Nathan Evaldi in this postseason. It's 26 innings pitched for him, 21 hits, 7 runs, 2 home runs, 4 walks, and 28 strikeouts. And we've spent plenty of time, though, discussing Evaldi and just kind of the um, cachet that he brings with him for some postseason experience and how well and success he has had in the postseason. Correct. Results have been very good uh, for the, whoever team he's pitching for, whether it's Boston or Texas. Yeah, I have actually was, you know, when you have your best stuff, if you're a pitcher and you do great, I mean, that's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, he did not have his best stuff in his last appearance against the, uh, the Rangers and just figured it out. And you know, made it through, I believe it was six innings, five in some, some five, six inning area. And uh, I was as much uh, as much impressed with him that day than I was when he was just, you know, kind of nobody was going to hit him type of stuff. And uh, the fact that he you know, figured it out after that first inning, we only gave up the one run and threw 25 pitches in that game and made it that deep into the game without, for the most part, being uh, further unscathed. That was the you know, he pitched that game as opposed to just, you know, he had his great stuff and you're not going to hit this type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, getting out of the first, uh, limiting the damage there, and then to your point, uh, getting through as many innings as he did, really controlling the Astros hitters and uh, surviving, if you will. Yeah, and considering you know their bullpen, I think is still you know I don't think there's questions about that bullpen, even though it's gotten better here, and you know they've had. I wouldn't say peaks and valleys with the bullpen. It's just been different characters, and uh, they've had to you know, change guys around and and so forth. You know, they've had you know, closers or you know, guys pitching in the eighth inning early in the season who are not even really a factor now in the postseason, even though uh, you know a couple of those guys are on the roster, but they're not pitching the high leverage innings as they say. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, it's a, the Diamondbacks clearly have, a, I think, the biggest advantage they have in this series, at least based on what we've seen. And I've read the numbers in the last hour, the Diamondbacks' bullpen since uh, the first week of September. So it just isn't, it hasn't just been a postseason thing. But I think the Diamondbacks' bullpen, at least going in, has a clear advantage. Other than that, uh, well, in defense, they're better. But the Rangers are also really good on defense. So... I think the Diamondbacks has a big advantage on the defensive side and, you know, basically you know, pitch and catch type of things um, you know, with just position players and so forth. The only thing that worries me about defense uh, for the Diamondbacks is, you know, Marte's, you know, accuracy throwing the ball. He's done a much better job fielding the ball. He had one stretch right after the All-Star break where he kind of looked like uh, the 2022 Marte defensively. And he was bad on defense last year. Uh, we'll get into the bats for the Diamondbacks and the Rangers on the other side of the break. Have some numbers, some questions for you as game number one of this World Series gets started on Friday from Texas, 5.03 p.m. on Fox. Once again, we'll take your calls around 10.30 and 11.15. The number for you, 602-260-1060. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at kdos1060.com and with the kdos1060 app powered by superbook sports right here on this thursday october 26th
Catch the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060 and online at KDUS1060.com. Two years. 10.23 right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Looking forward to the Arizona Diamondbacks and Texas Rangers World Series it gets started Friday, 5.03 p.m. on Fox. We just kind of went through game number one starting pitchers that have been named for the Diamondbacks, Zach Gallen, Rangers, Nathan Avaldi. Now I want to turn the attention to the bats here, and I want to start with the Diamondbacks. And specifically, uh, I have some questions for you, Bob, about Christian Walker. He's had 39 at-bats, seven hits, one home run, seven RBIs, 11 walks, 14 strikeouts, and he's batting 179 in the postseason. We know the struggles that he had specifically in the NLCS from an approach standpoint, you know, you don't want him pressing at the plate. You don't want him trying to do something that's out of character for himself. So what are kind of the keys in these, the couple of off days that they've had in the cages or, you know, taking some BP, et cetera, to try to bounce back after a rough NLCS at the plate? I'm not real sure, to be honest. I mean, he's had problems. Um, you know, teams have been basically going high fastballs against him, inside high fastballs specifically, for several weeks now. Uh, he, I will say one thing. He walked a bunch of times uh, in that uh, Philadelphia series, I assume. Uh, might have had the most walks of anybody in either team in that series. I don't have the numbers to back that up, but you know, he walked a handful of times. So, you know, that, that's a good thing, but, uh, you know, he needs to drive in runs and I would assume, but I would have said this last week too. I would assume that, uh, they'd have to score some runs and I mean, you know, multiple runs in some of these games, uh, to beat, uh, the Rangers, but I thought the same thing against the Phillies. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so along those lines here, if you're looking at, you know, Tori Lovello, he very clearly says he has a plan. He kind of sticks to that plan. We've seen some changes in the in the who plays based upon who the starting pitcher is. If you're a lefty or a righty, you've seen some changes at the top of the order. Cattell Marte, Corbin Carroll switching places. But we have seen Christian Walker consistently be there in the four spot. Uh, would you go into the World Se- Series changing where he bats or would you stick with him to say, you're you're a good enough hitter to get yourself out of this year for the World Series. I don't even think that's an option. I mean, yeah, as far as the top of the order thing, that's based on left-handed and right-handed pitchers with Carroll and Marte, and that's been going on for a while. Next up here, Cattell Marte. He had 53 at-bats, 19 hits, two home runs, seven RBIs, two walks, 16 strikeouts, and a batting average of 358 in the postseason. He's been uh, their most dynamic hitter, uh, as I uh, pointed out yesterday, that he has started his career and he has had a hit in every single game in his postseason career. So just continuing to uh, get balls in play for Marte is so important. That's true. I mean, he's been really good. He's been good. I think I think he's actually been their best offensive player since the All Star break. Uh, so he's been uh, 
He's had a very good season uh, offensively and for the most part defensively. Uh, so he's he's been uh, if Cor- if Corbin Carroll weren't on this team, he'd be their best player this season. So I guess you should say he's been their second best player this season as far as a position guy. Well, let's talk about Corbin Carroll. There's been 44 at-bats for him, 13 hits, two home runs, six RBIs, seven walks, eight strikeouts, a batting average of 295. Uh, we know it was a quiet NLCS until game seven for him. Uh, what sort of approach does he need to come at this with? It wasn't just games uh, the last series. I mean, really since game one of that Dodgers series, I believe it was he three for 24, I believe it was, and had no hits in the uh, series against Philadelphia against left-handed pitchers until he had four at-bats against left-handers in Game 7, and he got three hits to start, and then he got a sacrifice fly uh, against Alvarado uh, in his fourth at-bat. So all those are against left-handed pitchers. Uh, That's the worst I've actually seen him this season. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say except when I thought he was playing injured with the shoulder thing in July. Uh, But, you know, when he's healthy – and we assume he's healthy now. I think that's uh, he had some feeble looking at bats uh, early in that Philadelphia series, and especially against their left-handed guys, whether it be you know, you know Suarez or whether it be you know any of their left-handed relievers, uh, specifically Alvarado. Uh, so uh, we'll see how this goes. You know the uh, the Rangers certainly have a few left-handers. We'll see when Montgomery slots in as a starter, and obviously Chapman coming out of the bullpen. Uh, is uh, throwing over 100 most of the time, but he has no idea where it's also going most of the time. <laughs> Gabriel Moreno, 43 at-bats for him, 12 hits, 3 home runs, 9 RBIs, 4 walks, 12 strikeouts, and batting average of 299. He also had some really key at-bats, uh, driving in some runs and, and just making sure that he gets on base. Yeah, no doubt. He moved into the three-hole uh, during the uh, during the Philadelphia series, and I'm assuming he'll stay there. Uh, also, uh, yeah, Alec Thomas. We'll see how he's uh, uh, how he works out here. With you know, if Montgomery starts, does Thomas sit? Uh, you mentioned Lavello has a plan. I think this is much more of an organizational plan than it is just strictly Lavello. Uh, I think they have a uh, you know they're obviously heavy into the metrics, which is fine. Uh, but you know, the one thing that drives me sometimes crazy more than sometimes crazy about the metrics is that, you know, the numbers are great and, uh, those things are, you know, there's a lot of truth to them. However, I think you have to be able to adjust with the metrics and make your own decisions based on what the, you know, the temperature of the game is at the time. And it drives me absolutely nuts, uh, more than occasionally and like almost all the time, when something is just predetermined before a game starts and it doesn't really uh, factor in what the game temperature is, and you know, I'm talking about not talking about the 100 degrees out, <laughs> but just how the game is going to that point. I think and that I the the, the the Bochi has done a really good job of a lot of that stuff, and he's more of a uh, more of a uh, feel of the game guy uh, than he is just strictly numerical stuff. I think what comes to mind for me with the scenario that you're bringing up is uh, 
how, you know, the bullpen has really been shored up after the acquisition of Ryan Thompson. So you have the the combination of Thompson, Saul Frank, Ginkle, and Seawald to close a game for you. And specifically in game seven, uh, you know, Thompson only needed 10 pitches, was pitching really well. I thought he should have started that inning, but the way that the plan goes, right, it was Saul Frank, he got the ball, and then Ginkle comes in and makes a tremendous uh fix of the whole situation i think they got to really thank this Saul frank thing over uh, heading into the world series here do you still want to use him against uh you want to bring him in against Corey seager i don't think that would be a good idea in my opinion uh he was a uh, Saul frank was certainly ineffective for the majority of the uh, philadelphia series with a whole lot of walks had major location issues and you know, the uh the uh, the the left-handed the you don't have a Schwarber and a Harper here, uh, but Seager and for those who haven't watched much of the Rangers, I mean, maybe you know him from the Dodgers. He hasn't changed. Don't throw that dude to first pitch fat first pitch fastball ever, and I mean ever. Um, we'll get to him here momentarily. I do want to highlight uh, Geraldo Perdomo. We, we've talked about how great he has been in that nine slot. Uh, it's 36 at-bats for the numbers, 10 hits, two home runs, three RBIs, five walks there, 12 strikeouts, and batting uh, 278. But he's just doing exactly what you would want from someone in that nine spot. Yeah, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, you know, there's been few players uh, in the uh, – you know, I've been here since 2002 – uh, there are a few, few players that have improved from one year to the next more than he has. Uh, he just couldn't hit at all last year. Showed some signs that he could be a good defender, but now he's an elite defender and has uh, just developed a tremendous eye at the plate. If nothing else, he's drawn some key walks for them. I'll add one other thing. I'm really curious to see how they use Tommy Pham in this series. It's a big outfield in Texas. It's obviously a big out here, big outfield here. And if the Diamondbacks had not won that game seven, he misplayed two balls in right field in that game, which Corbin Carroll, if he was playing right field, would have easily caught. Uh, but because you know it was you know the left-handed pitcher with Suarez starting that game, you know Pham was in the lineup and Thomas was not. So those are the type of things that, uh, you know, especially against the left-handed pitchers in this series, uh, which there will be at least one uh, for the Rangers in Montgomery. And uh, you would assume that would be a couple of games if the series goes, uh, you know, deep in, uh, you know, into the, you know, game six and seven, et cetera. Uh, how do the Diamondbacks structure their lineup before the game even starts is, I think, an interesting thing to, 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 mo- to definitely to monitor and pay close attention to. One other player I wanted to highlight here, Lourdes Gurriel, 48 at-bats for him, 12 hits, two home runs, six RBIs, one walk, 10 strikeouts, uh, batting average of 250. I know you kind of talked about him throughout the season where he was hitting. Uh, then he kind of went through a bit of a period where he wasn't. Yeah. But uh, he's he's been relatively more consistent here in the postseason. That's true. He has these wild stretches of, uh, you know, being just, you don't want to, if you're a pitcher, you don't want a part of him. And then, you know, just sometimes like at a you know, snap of a finger or one at bat later, you so you know, bring him up here and I can get this guy out. <laughs> it's a, you know, it's like a, 
he reminds me more in this, you know, there's a lot of hitters like this, not a ton, but it, it's more of a streak shooter in basketball. <laughs> kind of reminds me more of that than it does like a baseball everyday, you know, regular season player. All right, for Texas here, some of the uh, players at bat. Corey Seager, you mentioned him, 45 at bats, 15 hits, three home runs, six RBIs, 12 walks, seven strikeouts, and he's batting 333 in the postseason. It's true. Your first pitch fastball, you're out of your mind if you throw him one. And that's been the case for many, many, many years. Uh, yeah, also, Marcus Simeon did not have the best numbers, I know, in the uh, ALCS, but he did get a couple of uh, – yeah, you know, key hits and uh, got on base uh, towards the end of that series. He's a huge part of their team. Lord, you obviously at the top of the lineup. Also has a you know, pretty good eye and walks a lot. Uh, has over the years at least. So those are that's basically you know the top of their lineup right there. And yeah, you know, Garcia is another one of those guys that's kind of like uh, not, not you know, probably even more extreme than Guriel. As far as uh, the, uh, the the hot shooter the in basketball scenario, yeah, uh, and uh, even during one game, the same game we saw the other night, I mean, you had four strikeouts in one game, and then you hit like a nine hundred foot home run. So <laughs> that happened to be a grand to, slam. Right, try to figure out how to pitch to that dude. Fifty-two at bats for him, seventeen hits, seven home runs, twenty RBIs, sixteen strikeouts, and a batting average of three twenty-seven for Garcia. Jonah Heim, forty-nine at bats, twelve hits, two home runs, six RBIs, three walks, six strikeouts, and a batting average of two forty-five for him. He's another guy. You know, they've had, as I mentioned, uh, you know, for a team that had you know the best offensive numbers in baseball for a large majority of the season. Uh, they've had some stretches where they didn't hit at all, and he's one of those guys that has been, even though he's been fairly consistent, but, uh, you know, we'll see. And this is a short series, and I don't really pay much attention to the numbers, you know, from game to game, quite frankly, because you don't really know uh, whether, you know, certain guy, how it's, you know, unless you've seen a large sample of a certain pitcher going against a hitter, I don't know if you can really take too much even now of the uh, you know those kind of matchups, and I know that uh, you know, and I'm one of the ones that do this. You know, oh, he's three for 25 in his career against this guy. <laughs> well, a lot. You know, if, if you're a veteran player, a bunch of those bats probably came like seven or eight years ago, and they don't matter anymore. So, uh, so I like I said, I don't pay much attention to the numbers from game to game, or quite frankly, during a series, unless you just you know can watch and see somebody that is really struggling at the plate. And then you just, uh, if you're a pitcher, you're going uh, you know, to, hopefully to your advantage, if you're that pitcher, take advantage of the situation. Game one, as we mentioned, is Friday, 5.03 p.m. on Fox. The numbers on the FanDuel Sportsbook app, Diamondbacks plus one and a half, Rangers minus one and a half, over-under sitting at eight and a half runs. To win the World Series odds, Rangers minus 174, D-backs plus 148. If you're interested in World Series MVP numbers, Corey Seager plus 480, Adolis Garcia plus 550, Ketel Marte plus 800. So too is Corbin Carroll. Real fast, let me. You, if you're going to bet on any of these things, shop around because these numbers are wide, you know, very tremendously from place to place. 602-260-1060 is the number if you'd like to join the program. Give us a call now. We'll talk to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. It is the extra point on this Thursday, October 26th. 
Every Monday night, check out Ray Adams as he hosts the Monday Night Golf and Lifestyle Show from 6 to 7 p.m. here on KDUS AM 1060. Here on KDOS AM 1060, follow along online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We kind of change it up and find different sets of power rankings. So we're going to go back to the athletics power rankings here for week number eight. Uh, We'll start with number 10 on the list is actually one of the teams for tonight's Thursday Night Football contest. It's the Buffalo Bills sitting at four and three. Last week in their power rankings list, they were sitting in sixth. It's a weird situation for the Bills, and I'm sure you probably discussed this with Matt Perino, just within the uh, AFC East. The Bills absolutely demolished the Dolphins, but they have losses now to the Jets and the Patriots. They also have the last three games in which they have struggled in the first halves. You also have injuries on the offensive side. Injuries have absolutely impacted the defense in very key positions. So you have to wonder if that's starting to catch up with this Buffalo Bills team. And you just wonder, you know, how deep of a run can they have? I don't have much of an explanation for their offense. Um, you know, that's just kind of a, you know, Josh Allen hasn't been consistent. I don't think that they're, you know, personally, I don't think their play calling has been that consistent. Uh, and defensively, I think we can explain this much easier. You know, that Bills game, that's the game that White got hurt, but he played a large majority of that game. And Matt Milano was still playing and didn't get hurt until uh, they were in London. And now he's out for the season. And arguably, those are their two best defenders. And I don't think enough is being made about this. Uh, you take the two best defenders or the, the two most important defender, your, be- your best corner and your best linebacker. And I think Milano is actually by far the most important player on the defensive side of the ball. You know, he does everything, including defend- he, he's a really good pass defender as a linebacker. There's not many of those guys around. They, you know, like I said, take it two guys off of any defense that are that important to any team, and I think this is big. Is it would be a bigger deal, but I think that Josh Allen has just been so inconsistent that nobody even talks about the fact that Milano and White are out. They're supposed to immediately be the same as a defense. You got to be kidding. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on the defensive side of the ball that those two players are the key to this. They also play incredibly important positions, too. So, uh, you know, those two factors on the defensive side of the ball. I'm curious on the offensive side of the ball, and we kind of have this conversation often. Um, are they just asking Josh Allen to do too much? Are they asking him to be a superhero every single week? Uh, I guess, even though he's running less, and that's by design. That's something we did talk about in the last hour a little bit. And, uh, you know, I didn't know about all the off-the-field situations with his, you know, former girlfriend and how he's married. He's uh, not married. He's dating some kind of, I don't even know who it is, some movie star now. Someone famous that neither of us know. (laughs) Okay, there you go. Uh, so maybe I'd like to see a picture of her, though. <laughs> so somebody shoot that to me if you find it. Uh, but whatever. Um, but I didn't have any idea that was going on. I did. You know, you know, we talked about he's had a couple of 
kind of weird press conferences here the last, uh, you know, the Sunday after the game and then again on Monday uh, because, you know, or Tuesday, I guess that was, right? Tuesday because they play tonight. I get all my days mixed up, uh, especially on these Thursday night games. But a couple bizarre press conferences. Uh, and I watched a part of the one after the loss against uh, the Patriots. It was just bizarro, uh, some of his answers. Uh, so there's a lot going on there. Uh, so that's going to dominate everything going on. And, you know, now that the fact that uh, Dawson Knox, in fact, while I was talking with Matt in the last hour, uh, Knox was placed on IR for four games. Uh, we knew he wasn't going to play tonight, but he was played, while we were having a discussion, he got, and I didn't know it at the time, uh, he was placed on IR. So they run a lot of two tight end sets. So, you know, they drafted Kincaid, but he's more of a slot guy than he is a tight end and doesn't really block. Uh, so how's this change their scheme on offense? I have no idea. Uh, I don't think anybody has any idea. I asked Matt about that in the last hour, and we're not real sure how this is going to change things. Uh, so we'll see. But, you know, the Bills look like, uh, and like you know, until White went down that injury against uh, the Dolphins, uh, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL. And now I'm wondering, uh, I mentioned their schedule stretch. They have a brutal schedule stretch in about a month against, you know, three or four of the best teams in the league. Uh, I mean, I assume they're going to make the playoffs, but I can't even say for sure they're going to make the playoffs right now. Number nine is the Dallas Cowboys. They're four and two. Last week, they were also number nine. They're coming off of a bye here. Uh, there's always questions around Dak Prescott. I guess that's the nature of being a Cowboys quarterback, but also maybe just kind of uh, what the expectations are for this offense. Dak has completed 4.9 completed air yards on average this season. It's 69.5% completion percentage, six touchdowns, four interceptions. It always seems to me that Dak works really well in a play action, uh, getting him out on some bootlegs. That seems to be where Dak excels. But the ground game without Ezekiel Elliott turning things over to Tony Pollard, uh, that has been slow to get started, even though that's obviously the way that Mike McCarthy wants to establish the offense is through the run game. They don't have any choice but to use Tony Pollard. And, you know, he's clearly not the same explosive player. I don't think there's any doubt about this now. Not the same explosive player after the leg surgery at the end of last year. He got hurt in that San Francisco playoff game. And, you know, he's never been, and I can't imagine anybody ever thinks that he will be a between-the-tackle guy. He never was at Memphis. He's not doing that. He, he's not good at that. You know, he, maybe occasionally, but he's not going to be a you know, in, in, you know, a, you know, number one running back as a between the tackle guy only. And now he's clearly not the same explosive player that he was before the injury last January in San Francisco. Number eight is the Jacksonville Jaguars at five and two. Last week they were also number eight. Has this offense finally found its way? Uh, Trevor Lawrence, he was dealing with that knee injury. He played on a short week Thursday night football and actually led the Jaguars in rushing in that game. Uh, the Jags defense limiting the opposing team's ground game to just 80.6 yards per game. But I think the question marks really were on the offensive side of the ball. And they still are. I mean, they still suck in the red zone. They were even not they weren't good at that last week. Lawrence is for two years running now, has not been good at all in the red zone. And that hasn't changed this year. And uh yeah, they've got plenty of receivers and uh, it's been an inaccuracy thing as much as anything. I know there were a couple of drop touchdowns earlier in that one game this year. 
in Jacksonville before they went to London for like seeming like like seemed like a month. Probably longer. Probably seemed longer than that for them. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but you know their offense is still a mystery. They're winning games because their defense has actually been really good. And uh, they've suddenly got a pass rush from Josh Allen, who was kind of missing in action for a large chunk of last season and uh, the first part of this season. Number seven is the Cleveland Browns. They're sitting at four and two. Last week, they were also a number seven on this list. It's already been announced for this week that P.J. Walker is set to get the start. Watson is dealing with a strain within his rotator cuff. It's triggering pain and weakness for him. Jerome Ford did not practice yesterday, so I think that there's just tons of questions on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, So the question here is, can the Browns' defense keep delivering? Jerome Ford's reportedly out for a few weeks. Um, and Watson has been quoted as saying this morning, I'm not sure if he talked yesterday or whether it was this morning or something, whenever, but that he came back too soon. And, well, duh, uh, no kidding. We, we kind of knew that before. Uh, so, as I mentioned uh, yesterday, when we uh, briefly talked about Watson, or we might have been Monday when we talked about Watson, that you know they completely screwed this whole thing up. Uh, by bringing him back too quickly, and now he's actually admitting that he came back too soon. The whole situation just seems really bizarre, especially when you have uh, you know Kevin De- Stefanski saying like, "Oh, he's gonna play," and you don't even wait to find out what the actual information is regarding the health of his shoulder. So the the whole thing has just been truly, truly bizarre. Well, I think it became bizarre as soon as they signed him. I oh, mean, that's true. Obviously not- <laughs> Not playing for a year and then paying. They're guaranteed. He's got like a couple, at least a couple more years of guaranteed money after this year. Yeah, you're right. You got to go further back with the Browns here for this entire situation to get truly, truly bizarre. Um, yeah, as I, I'll, yeah, I'm sure Stefanski played a role, but this is an ownership thing more than anything else as far as the Watson. If you're going to blame Watson for the problems in Cleveland, you should just blame the ownership. Uh, We'll get through the rest of this power rankings list for week number eight on the other side of the break as we wrap up our number one of the extra point next right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Radio is here for KDUS AM 1060. Check out your favorite shows and games on 100.7 KSLX HD2. October 26th, Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortolaro here with you, continuing uh, the power rankings from The Athletic this week for week number eight in the NFL. We left off at number six with the Lions, who are sitting at five and two. Last week, they were at number three on this list. I don't think the Lions are as bad as what happened on Sunday, giving up 503 yards of offense to the Ravens. But you do have some serious question marks uh, about the health of the offense without having David Montgomery there at running back. Also, are some of the injuries that certainly had been piling up on defense finally catching up a bit? 
Well, they weren't as good. You know, I heard some people put them in the category with San Francisco and Philadelphia before that game last week, which I thought was ridiculously premature. Uh, they're not, as, as you mentioned, I agree, not as bad as they looked last week, but they're not a, I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think they're certainly a team that is going to win the division. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would be stunned if they ended up in the Super Bowl. Number five on this list is the San Francisco 49ers at five and two. Last week they were sitting at two. So a big drop for them here in these power rankings based upon their loss on Monday night to the Vikings. No Trent Williams, though, on Monday night. And the 49ers rushed for just 65 yards. Brock Purdy, though, is now in the concussion protocol. So you got to wonder if something happened to him specifically in that fourth quarter. And then you're always going to be questioned on defense when a team scores at the end of the half because you didn't have over-the-top help well the biggest thing is they didn't have a sack as their first sackless game of the season minnesota actually did have their offensive line intact from the start of the season for the first, or at least the five guys they wanted out there uh for the first time this season so that maybe played a bit of a role but you mentioned trent williams that's a big deal i'm guessing he may not play this week because they do have a bye after this week so let's get him healthy for the stretch run and they still have win healthy remember debo didn't play either win healthy they are the best team in the nfl they have the most good players in the nfl personally i don't give a damn if they have a two-game losing streak i don't care if they lose this week to cincinnati they still to me are the best team in the nfl win healthy Number four on this list is the Miami Dolphins, five and two. Last week on this list, they had catapulted to one, so they've dropped as well. Uh, the five teams that Miami has beaten, you mentioned this uh, at some point this week. The five teams that Miami have, have beaten are eight and 25 so far this season. To play the contrarian viewpoint here, how is that their fault? They play who is on the schedule. However, O-line injuries are certainly really starting to pile up for the Dolphins, and you could tell just the physicality difference when facing those Eagles. Well, even when they were healthy and faced uh, you know, Buffalo when healthy, they had a physicality issue there. And uh, uh, I've been against the Dolphins twice this year and profited because I just think they're going to get their ass kicked at the line of scrimmage when they play somebody that we can push back. And uh, they've lost those games at Buffalo and at Philadelphia. And um, I haven't looked at their schedule here lately. It's certainly not this week against New England, where I would try to benefit and profit from this even more. But I just think whenever they face a physical team, they're going to have problems, even if they're completely healthy on uh, the offense and defensive side of the ball. I don't think they match up. I think they're fun to watch. But I just don't take them seriously once you actually have to make a play at the line of scrimmage. We'll continue with uh, three, two, and one on this list. We'll get into the Arizona Cardinals. Jonathan Gannon, Josh Dobbs had met the media yesterday. Some takeaways from their podium on the other side of the break. It is the extra point.